Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Key in the Lake podcast. Just like the previous couple episodes, um, all solo, no Wilson here. So I'm sorry for all the fans of Wilson out there, but it's just me, Jake, by myself, um, sitting in a bar very early, not too early, I guess, in Los Angeles, but a very nice bar. And I'm here joined with my guest today, with Tate. Um, and we're over here at Bebo Ergo Som. Did I say it right? Yeah. Awesome. It's perfect. I don't know my Latin too well, but... I wouldn't stress it. <laughs> I think my mom took Latin in high school, but she doesn't know anything. And the four years of Spanish has all been forgotten on me. But uh, yeah, thanks for letting us record in this uh, beautiful space. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming by. <laughs> yeah, no problem. It is kind of early, so just like uh, the last podcast, we aren't drinking whiskey on this one. Coffee and tea it is. Yeah, lots of caffeine. I think that's going to be a theme for the next few hours for sure. I hear you on that one. Just I'm um, not really sure. Like I said just a minute ago, I'm not really sure what time zone I'm on right now, but um, we'll figure it all out from here. Hmm. Dark and moody little day, so a lot of smog in the air. But nice lighting in here. I actually kind of like it. prefer it this way versus bright and loud. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, welcome uh, to the Keen Lake Podcast. Thank you. Technically your first podcast? Uh, technically, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, we were saying with the exception of a... A minor moment on uh, the Good Beer Hunting podcast. I'll, I'll count this as my first. Sounds great. Well, what brought you to uh, this beautiful place and starting all this? Yeah, so um, so I grew up in L.A. Uh, I actually was born uh, within two-minute walk of here at the nice. hospital around the corner from us. So uh, very, very sort of hyper-local, I suppose. Um, and I, you know, from a young age on, I always grew up around hospitality. Uh, my family was in the exhibition, the film exhibition industry, uh, always around sort of providing experiences, uh, transformational experiences for people. And for me, shortly around, let's just say after turning 21, um, I kind of got my first trip down to New York City. I was mm-hmm. going to school on the East Coast at the time. And my now sister-in-law took, uh, took me to Death & Co. Oh. And it was the first time that, it, like, first alcohol actually tasted good. I was like, this, <laughs> this is a bizarre concept. Um, but just the experience that I had there, the way that, you know, the staff interacted yeah. with me made me feel comfortable, made me feel welcome, and kind of opened the book of knowledge of what spirits, mixed drinks, beer, wine, so on and so forth could be just was the most exciting thing I could ever imagine. Very and cool. so ever since that point, I was wholly obsessed with providing that experience mm-hmm. to others. Um, so after school, I started working for Arclight Cinemas, uh, the movie theater company based uh, predominantly Los Angeles, yep. although two locations in the Chicagoland area. I do. Um, I was helping with the food and beverage program there. And while I was doing that, I started writing the business plan for Bebo. Oh, nice. Um, And it just so happened to transpire that as I was doing that, I was thinking, you know, I don't have expertise in quite a lot uh, (laughs) or anything. (laughs) Depends who you ask, really. Um, But uh, I thought, you know, if only I could help, you know, if I could harness that energy, you know, that great work that uh, people put into Death and Company into this bar, I feel like I would be on the right track. And sure enough, at that time, Dave Kaplan and Alex Day, the partners in Death & Co., teamed up with Devin Tarby and Foreign Proprietors LLC. They were working in the Arts District uh, as a consulting agency. Uh, And so I went and 
we were talking about this. I think I went and met with them in the winter of 2014, uh, and three years later, we finally opened this place. Nice. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So that the meeting all took place here then, all of that? Yeah. So you didn't have to travel to New York in the cold winter? No. No, no they, were all, they were all located out here, <laughs> okay, too, good. so they were enjoying uh, yeah. being out here, I think, as Definitely. well. Definitely. Um, so what year is it when you first went to Death & Co.? Uh, let's see here. I'll try and date myself here a little. I think that was 2011. Okay. And you're going to school at that point out there? Yeah. Cool. Whereabouts? Boston University. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, was there an interest before that getting into hospitality or I guess into like the bar scene, um, whatever it may be? I, I mean, I think there was, there was definitely something there because I think that's why my sister-in-law was like, Hey, you're starting to like be interested in you know, spirits and this mm-hmm. and the other. Uh, this why I'll take you to this bar. I think they do cool stuff. Yeah. Outside of that, I mean, the hospitality world, it's, it kind of is more, I didn't ever think of it sort of maybe beyond um, the fact that it's just, you know, I felt at home in restaurants yeah. and bars, uh, bars in the UK. Under 21, whatever. Understand. Uh, understand. But, you know, these, these were places where, you know, you would spend time with family, where you, I would get to see cousins, where I would get to see, you know, friends. And it always felt natural to me to spend so much time in these sort of third places, or, mm-hmm. or I guess second places, we call them. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't think I necessarily had a full concept of it at the time, but the the inner workings of it were forming. Yeah. For sure. So you have family in the UK, right? I do. So is that you think where like kind of that conversation, where that welcoming mentality, I guess, which is sometimes lost here in the states, versus mm. I think across um, across the pond, if you will, uh, where you can kind of come and have more of a conversation, more of a welcoming atmosphere and place to hang out, versus where a lot of places I feel like in the states, it's like order your next drink. What, like, what are you doing here? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been. I would say a little yes and a little no. Okay. I mean, for me, I've always experienced that in the UK side of things. Uh, but I think I've been very blessed. I mean, we're kind of growing up in this age of, of kind of renewed hospitality yeah. anyway. So, I mean, a lot of the places that I would gravitate towards have that human side to them. Definitely. The ones that are more transactional, I just don't don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you go there once, you go, oh, that felt weird. Yeah. And probably don't go back. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I've been fortunate to kind of avoid that. Is that kind of, I mean, I assume it's what you're trying to create here then. Obviously, it's at, what you said, like a renewed, renewed sense of hospitality. Um, it's certainly very huge. I feel like every conversation we have on this podcast is kind of gets back to what happened between the conversation between the person across the bar and the person behind the bar. Right. Um, where it's very key of being able to come back and revisit that person, have a conversation and feel welcome to actually be a part of, uh, you know, the bar, the atmosphere, and everything going on inside. Well, and we always talk about it here, um, and we definitely pride ourselves on making great drinks, uh, serving, you know, thoughtful products, whether it's the spirits that we pour, yeah. the beers, the wines. Um, but ultimately, it, it is in service of that conversation. Uh, it's in service of the human connections. And when we say the purpose for this bar, the purpose for Bebo is creating an excellent drinking experience for people who value care, creativity, and connection. Hmm. And that connection, I mean, that connection probably should come first in that (laughs) statement because ultimately it's a bind for people to connect with, whether it's their guests, you know, the people they're there with, Mm -hmm. with the bar staff, or even just with the space. Yeah. Um, You know, I was, I was listening to, um, I think it was another, it was a basketball podcast and 
this guy was talking about how you know now he just walks around and he's on his phone all the time yeah. and he's walking I mean he travels for basketball uh, writing right. and he's always on his phone he doesn't even realize he's walking through these cities yeah. and so you know without taking it too seriously the opportunity to you know put a cool drink in front of somebody and say you know and use that as the means to then look up and see the space you're in to connect with the people around you mm-hmm. um, you know not as like a righteous thing but just as a hey this is a reprieve from kind of our the monotony of day-to-day life no even like on the car ride over here i was emailing and texting and doing all that work and i'm like why don't i just take in driving through la a little bit and just seeing kind of the city i mean i've been here plenty of times and been through those neighborhoods i guess maybe once or twice but just enjoying what you don't see on a daily basis where it's different from chicago yeah or any other city you're in but looking at the bar here, is that why you kind of have like a rounded bar? Is it more so they can see the entire space, see the people around you? Yeah, absolutely. The I mean, the so the bar was designed by Home Studios, mm-hmm. and one of the original talking points was you know the kind of the focus is kind of on the magic of the bar for sure. Yeah. Um, and it the whole space it ended up just working out that the whole space kind of looks inward. So no matter what, you are able to kind of visually interact with yeah. the whole space wherever you're sitting from, and even. Even sitting in the back of this space, you know, you can sit there and still kind of have a connection to the entirety of the building. Most definitely. Um, And yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's... um, For everyone listening to this podcast, (laughs) check out their Instagram and you'll see many pictures of of the bar um, and the the whole entire space, but it's very open, very elegant, very beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Sorry, I I forgot. Forget yeah. that I'm like talking into no, the space. And I do it all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's all right. No, no worries about it. It's some kind of what happens in a, in a podcast. We should just start live streaming, I guess, there like everybody go. else on YouTube. But that's technical difficulties that I can't figure out. So, if anybody wants to help me out on that, let me know. Um, but yeah, no. To kind of get back to like uh, the bar experience in here. Um, how do you guys start uh, with your whole menu, your whole cocktail experience? Because it has a very nice story that goes through. I think the timeline of LA, your mm. timeline, it sounds like through the spirits industry as well. Yeah. So, um, so the menus for me always start first with two kind of two purposes. One, it's obviously to connect guests to the drink that'll serve them best in that moment. Yeah. So providing whether it's icons, indicators, ingredients, so on and so forth. From there, it's a narrative. What's mm. the emotional hook? Um, so I, we were kind of talking earlier. I mean, our first menu, um, you know, we, wanted to do something that was a little playful, wanted to do something that um, kind of connected with the city. And uh, we actually played off of Christopher Nolan's film, The Prestige, uh, and used, I think it was Michael Caine's uh, sort of opening and closing monologue, okay. the description of a magic trick, which mm. technically isn't <laughs> correct, uh, as I've been told oh, since. Yeah, uh, yeah if, you, if you ask true magicians, they'll, they'll be like, yeah, that's... Not exactly <laughs> true, but whatever. Yeah, um, but yeah, we'll go with the movie magic. Um, and so we followed sort of the the uh, structure outlined in that film of yeah. uh, the pledge, the turn, the prestige as a way to kind of guide you through a menu, but also mm. allow you to emotionally connect to different stages. So cool. whether you want sort of the presentation of the bunny, you know, the magic of the bunny disappearing or, or really the true magic of bringing it all back, tying old and new. Um, for our current menu, it, we kind of wanted to play around with um, time travel in a way okay. um, and imagining our bar through three distinct different time periods. And what that would enable us to do is kind of two things. One, 
kind of play off the narrative of the time period. Uh, the one I love to call in here is like neon, mm-hmm. uh, the middle section of our menu. Uh, and the whole idea is like imagining what if Bebo Ergosam was a disco bar in the 1970s. The drinks probably would be super bright, yeah. you know, both in flavor and in color. Um, and they would probably be lively and fun cocktails. Definitely. Uh, and they would still be well-made and we wouldn't necessarily revert to a certain style of making <laughs> drinks yeah. prevalent to the time. Um, whereas other sections like the uh, pre-prohibition era uh, or what we're calling old style, that allows us to play with more sort of old school techniques, whether mm. it's kind of creating like a mead syrup. So we kind of make our own house kind of fermented mead that adds like just that little bit of effervescence to a cocktail. And like you, again, you can engage with it as much as you want. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like, yeah, this has honey syrup in it. Cool. Like just give me the cocktail. Yeah. Or you can go, oh, that's weird. Yeah. What am I tasting? Definitely. Like, let's talk about it. Yeah. Where did all this creativity come from building it? Is that like, is that in your background or is it something that you wanted to go into those, the arts or? Yeah. So I think, I mean, for me, I get excited around the narrative side. Yeah. Um, Telling the story. Yeah. I love, I mean, ultimately it's about telling stories. I went to school for history. Okay. Um, I find, I've always found that like historically accurate stories are more interesting than fiction. Definitely. Um, it's not always true. Well, Game of Thrones is very exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Until the end. And t- well, you know. well, yeah. It was still exciting, I guess. Um, but um, but I will say, so that's the exciting part for me. Um, our team, and specifically our uh, our bar manager Daniel mm-hmm. um, and the whole team, really loves to dive into um, exploring what can be done with a cocktail. Yeah. Uh, and he and the rest of the team have done such a cool job of of innovating, sort of building off of what has been done and finding new ways to envelop flavors together. Um, And it shows, I mean, people, I think, you know, people say they really (laughs) take face value. They enjoyed enjoyed both both of our menus and um, yeah, it's been really positive. No, I think that whole narrative, when when we first started talking after the Uppers and Downers cocktail competition mm-hmm. and checking out your Instagram, it was, I, I thought like I was in Gatsby, the film. Like mm. it's yeah. my, my first like, thought to it. And then I was looking at the photos, exploring a little bit more. Definitely saw like that Death & Co vibe to it a little bit. But as I said before, before they turn on the mics on, it really represents the bar, um, not just the cocktails, but like in the background, having the bar, having the setup to what you guys are doing here, making it your own, um, telling your own stories as well. Yeah. But, uh, and I thought even with the cocktail you made at the Uppers and Downers, which you were the champion of, <laughs> that's what, yeah, guy from Thank LA you. flies in the day of and beats out, what, 10 different bartenders from Chicago. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, so... Uh, that was a funny story. That was fun. Yeah. So, yeah, so for full background on that, uh, so Good Beer Hunting, uh, Chicago-based, yep. uh, they have their annual coffee and beer festival called Uppers and Downers, and part of that festival, I mean, it's just expanding. I yeah. mean, they can't even call it a coffee and beer festival no. anymore, uh, or at least maybe not next year, because they do such a great job of bringing in food mm-hmm. and drink and... Uh, so they have a co- had a cocktail competition component, and I just happened to subscribe to their um, online sort of support the Furban s- Few system. Yeah. yeah, the Furban Few, and I saw this was coming up. I reached out to Michael Kaiser, and who's the head of GBH, and I said, "Hey, you know, I'd love to participate in some way." And 
he actually took me up on that, which I, I you know, you should never, <laughs> you never yourself, know. Yeah. yeah, you shouldn't put yourself out for something that you're not <laughs> actually expecting to do. Um, but he very kindly invited me out to come participate, and it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. you know, the I, I was saying to somebody last night, like I was so uh, enamored by how great everybody in the Chicago like bar scene yeah. was. I mean, I walked in there, I knew nobody. I was just like this lone dude out from out of town. <laughs> Everybody, hey, how can I help? What do you need? This, that, and the other. I was yeah. stunned by, again, the hospitality of it all. Um, and it was a fun day. I mean, we, so my whole thing was I just wanted to create kind of a true, simple, classic riff on, mm. on an Irish coffee. And to me, what is most interesting about uppers and downers and kind of interesting about what we do in general is kind of getting to take ingredients and think about them in ways yeah. outside of the traditional means. So coffee has typically been outside of like a true third wave coffee yeah. sense, uh, seen as coffee flavor. Coffee is coffee. It yeah. tastes like roasty and chocolatey and coffee. Um, but if you talk to any like great coffee roasters or purveyors, they'll start hitting you with flavors like apricot and stone fruit and berries and tea and plastic bag or whatever yeah. um maybe yeah. not plastic bag no, I, no, no that's <laughs> true I, I just did this uh a cupping and tasting in melbourne because oh, yeah. their coffee is super serious there yeah their cafe culture is uh unbelievable uh super impressed by it and did you get to reuben hills i didn't i was at saint ali um, oh yeah yeah and totally. um uh Gosh, I'm blanking on her name right now, but showed us around. Um, but we did like this two hour, like in depth tasting and cupping and sniffing and everything you could possibly think of to basically use all of your senses to get everything out of the coffee, which is amazing because we do that for spirits all the time. Right. But on the other end, I've done it once for tea on a very limited basis. And then I, the guys at Metric in Chicago kind of done a little bit with their stuff, but never mm -hmm. like full encompassing with coffees from around the world. And like, I'm like, is there a mushroom in this like one? And she's like, yeah, most people don't pick that up. And you're like, and I had a terrible like head cold that day too. But okay. I'm like, I'm like, all I smell is like mushroom from this one coffee. Mm. And she's like, yeah, this is like the whole experience we're trying to do. I'm like, yeah, this is what we do with whiskey. We try to take you back, make you, make the smell, make the flavor, evoke an emotion. And then we try to put it back to why you're ha having that emotion to it. Right. And it seems like that's kind of what you're doing here. Yeah. And so to bring it back to the, <laughs> yeah, sorry, back, the tangents. So yeah. Cocktail, so um, I wanted to bring out the fruit notes yeah. of coffee yeah. into an Irish coffee. And uh, we kind of pulled on, I think it was like a raspberry syrup um, mm. and a little bit of apricot liqueur that we put into the cream. And it just connected with people. I yeah. think the, the coffee guys in particular, Steve Morrissey, who is, uh, helps run Uppers and Downers with uh, Michael Kaiser and, and GBH, he kind of said that. I mean, it's like, we like this the most just because of the simplicity and connection to what the coffee is. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, it was really sweet. It was a fun experience. Uh, and, and then we got to serve the cocktail uh, at the festival for like, 500 people. Um, yeah, how'd you pull that off? <laughs> um, all credit to um, the guys at, uh, oh, where was the festival held? At uh, Thalia Hall. Thalia Hall, yeah. Um, and I'm blanking on the gentleman's name, but basically the team at Thalia Hall did everything for me. Oh, cool. Like, I can take no was I, it Rob? Uh, I think it was Rob. Okay. He was he just, at the cocktail competition? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, like, I mean, I sent him all the specs. We figured it out. And I showed up day of. And everything was, like, pre-batched and pre-done. And I was like, you guys are the best. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun experience. And nobody gave me too hard of a time for being the, uh, the outsider who came in and ruined the day. No, you didn't ruin the day. Just made it better. It was, uh, <laughs> it was cool. It was uh, that whole experience of, you know, 
just going around and you can actually talk with the individual yeah. uh, excuse me bartenders and even managers owners in this case of bars and talk through the, the whole drink the whole experience of it so um, is that kind of back to like your background of history is that what you're trying to do is basically tell a story is there any certain part of history that maybe inspired all of this oh that's a good question um, I think it's more just the sense of storytelling in yeah. general um, I mean my technically my history degree I never specialized because I was like I just want to <laughs> touch as much as possible yeah. like I just want I want a little from modern ancient whatever I can and I think that's kind of the exciting thing about a bar yeah. I mean you look at the back bar right now and just the you know, there's so many bottles up there, and we carry what uh, one one thousandth uh, of what's available to us. Exactly. I mean, um, there's just literally not enough back bar space to, to yeah. carry everything we'd want to. Um, and that's the exciting thing. I mean, you go back to sensory analysis. Um, I think you know we have guests who come in and get overwhelmed by even just the compact range of products that we have. Okay. And it's like, well, you know, if you're interested in whiskeys, so you're just in Melbourne, it's like. Let's go through a couple of these, you know, whether it's single malts or mm-hmm. American bourbons or, you know, internationals, and you'll find those flavors. And being able to explore that, I think, is so exciting. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, the people, I guess if you're a novice to drinking whiskey or maybe you don't have any interest whatsoever just getting started, it's a whole range of even just in the States where you get your grains, where the flavors come from, totally. and then start starting to explore out in the world. You might like, oh, so is Japanese whiskey just steal from Scotch? No, they actually have their whole process that started 100 years ago right. and took the idea of it, but they're creating their new ide- their own identity to it. And then like going to Melbourne was just incredibly eye-opening with the spirits happening in Australia, like all throughout from the gins and the whiskeys and the aperitifs. Like it's just crazy amount. And they're using local flavors there, which are creating their own identities to it. And, and it's, you know, and their stories. I mean, yeah. they're, all of these people have their own stories. I mean, that's, you know, going back to good beer hunting for a minute, mm. like that's what drew me to beer. Yeah. It's, you know, in some ways it's super exciting <laughs> Getting, you get to go to a brewery, you see the whole process right in front of you, mm-hmm. and you know the product that usually comes out of that tap is made within eyeshot. Yeah. Um, and we carry, so we carry, um, like our pills uh, is from Highland Park Brewing down in Chinatown in LA. Um, and I mean, I go down there, I pick up the keg myself. Nice. Uh, this latest batch that we picked up, like they literally kegged it like an hour before I walked in, I pick it up, load it in the car and drive it back here. And, you know, it's, you, like, I think we're all drawn towards, you know, people who are just trying to tell their story, trying yep. to sort of put their best foot forward. Absolutely. Um, and that's really exciting to me. I think it's where like the craft is different from other brands. And I think bigger brands are stealing from that identity. But for me, beer was my entry point into this whole thing too, where you see a craft can that has these, artworks on there and mm-hmm. it tells a story and I was, I've said this a million times in this podcast but when I first saw Dead Guy from Rogue I'm like why is there a skeleton sitting on top of a keg right what's that all about and like walking through my little grocery store liquor store and you see that next to like you know your Bud Lights and everything else like I'm gonna try that even if it is like you know nine ten dollars and you're a college kid like it just looks interesting to me mm-hmm. and it has a journalism and history I was actually somehow got a history minor, took enough classes, but uh, yeah, just like stats, so it all started. And then you like, oh, there's craft breweries all throughout this world. And like you said, in a country for me, at least initially. And 
started traveling the country and going to these breweries and you're tasting fresh beer. You're, you can talk to the brewers. You can see the brewery itself happening and everything where it's being made. And it's a whole different story um, versus just going off and, you know, buying something that's big and right. generic, if you will. That was a... Uh Pliny the Elder, you know, kind of West Coast, that was it for me. Is like, yeah. It was kind of the least interesting looking label on the shelf, <laughs> yet it had the most kind of yeah. excitement around it. Um, it's kind of, it, it's, you guys, why is this label so, it's just this red circle, green background, and yet there's something so magnetic about it. Hmm. Um, I mean, I remember when I first, you know, you couldn't buy it in yeah. LA unless you kind of, talk to the local liquor store guy and he would kind of bring it out from the back and we ended up just collecting empty Pliny bottles because we were just like these look cool even though they're aesthetically not that pleasing yeah. but yeah I, I, there's there's definitely um, some kind of magic to it definitely is that um, is anything with that background with that magic was that started at Arclight is that kind of what drew you there yeah I mean uh, that's an interesting question I, I, I mean there's there's definitely something to the, the storytelling side of things. Yeah. And so, I mean, for Arclight, um, you know, so much of the Arclight experience is sort of, it comes down to the kind of providing the best movie going, mm. not the best, but the most optimal movie going experience for truly appreciating the film. Yeah. So, I mean, if you ever go to Arclight, there's, for example, there's as little to no distractions as possible. The bags or the tubs that you get your popcorn in, they're tubs, they're not paper bags because you don't want to hear that crinkling throughout the movie. Uh, We don't serve nachos because while most people love nachos, that smell just flows wherever it wants. Um, And so there are a lot of those decisions and ultimately a lot of people ask, why don't you serve food in the auditorium? Mm. And so, well, you know, that business model works for some people and some people want that experience. But it's truly distracting from seeing and appreciating the film the way it's meant to be appreciated. Yeah. And I think all of that is what kind of is, has helped influence this. It's kind of seeing what feels true or wants to be what I want to be most true for my bar going experience yeah. and applying that here. So, you know, it's a pretty decently sized space in here, um, but we stick to seating room or like designated standing room only. Gotcha. Uh, and part of that is. You never want to be, not never, but it's unpleasant when you're sitting in a bar and either you have to feel somebody leaning over yeah. you to order or you have to lean over somebody else to order. Um, you know, it's little stuff like that that we wanted to make sort of the guest experience as easy as possible. Does that even go into like why you have, um, why there's no backs on the seats at the bar too? It's like no one can like rest their arm on oh, top. Oh, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Was, I mean, as soon as you said that, it was the first thing that popped in my mind. This the other night I was doing, I was sitting at a bar and like, Someone was like literally pulling my chair back because oh. they were like they were pulling they're leaning on it so hard and I'm like there's an open spot right here like you can stand there too. Well, and I like the person I like backless uh, high tops just because it kind of forces you a little to lean in mm. as opposed to lean out. True. Um, and we also anywhere there is a high top in the space there are coat hooks so totally empathetic and sympathetic for people who need to put their jackets on something so you don't have the back to put it on but yeah. you have the hook to put it on. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, and also in uh, um, true practicality, it also is a space saver. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The backs on them. Yeah, and, and it opens up the bar too. It keeps a little bit more of the flow going through that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So when you go back to like you know creating that whole customer experience um, and having that hospitality and welcoming mentality as well, 
how do you train your staff on that or who do you mm. how do you choose your staff for that too so I mean, we've been very fortunate uh, about half our staff is been with us since we opened cool. um, and everybody who's joined since I'm trying to think I think the last two to join us joined a couple months ago um, and have been tremendous and when we we hired our staff um, we hired for you know for care and personality first mm. um, you know ultimately uh, you know learning to become a great bartender is certainly challenging it takes quite a bit of time and skill um, but you have to have an open personality first. You have to be open to receiving feedback. You have to be open to giving feedback. You have to just naturally or want to lean into sort of treating this space like it's your home and you're inviting people into it. And, you know, it's pretty quick. I think you can easily tell when, um, when that just doesn't connect for people, uh, which is totally fine. Um, you know, there's, I always say not every space has to be for everyone. Mm. Um, but we, if you want to work here, I mean, every, every buddy who works here or who has worked here has kind of had that mentality of, you know, this is our home and we're welcoming people into it. Um, and you can't, I personally believe you can't really teach that. Um, you can foster that. You, I mean, if I didn't have that personality, then nobody else needs to have it. Um, but ultimately, they carry that through. It starts. I mean, it obviously starts up top too, and that can flow right. flow down through it. And I think creating a space like this would definitely kind of create the vibe for anybody coming in here who you know, applying or starting a job. Definitely get the mentality of, hey, this is a cool space to welcome people. Obviously, you have many stories to tell just mm-hmm. through your cocktails, um, through your also through your list of spirits as well. Um, kind of going into that, like, how did you choose what you wanted what you wanted to serve? Yeah. Um, so I'll I'll freely admit uh, I take a backseat to the development side and okay. to the, the product side and leave that mostly to uh, Daniel, who's our beverage general manager, yeah. and also I kind of give him the role of uh, <laughs> beverage director as well. And Did you guys work previously together anywhere? Or? Uh, we hadn't. Um, he was actually working at um, the Walker Inn and Bar Claxon, so he had worked with Proprietors LSC in the past, and it was perfect transition because he he knew the systems, he knew the way they worked yeah. and we were all very aligned on that. So it was a pretty seamless marriage right off the bat. Um, and I know he goes about usually picking products that I think a first and foremost, they have to taste good. Yeah. Um, so it's a good start. It's a good start. <laughs> uh, it can certainly turn into a subjective conversation, yeah. but ultimately it's, it's his point of view to start with. And right. I, I totally respect that. Um, and then it's also ultimately trying to, make sure we're picking brands with integrity. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to name names, but no. the, it, there are absences on our back bar that I think kind of throw people at times. Um, and it's, we don't want to get, you know, if we want to, somebody wants to have the conversation, you know, we'll kind of take that off the record. But um, usually it's just, you know, we don't have X, but you should try Y. You know, it's delicious. It's great. Made in wherever. Yeah. Um, we know the guy who makes it. So. Definitely. And it goes back to storytelling. It's, you can exactly. tell more of that story. You know the people. You might even know the owners of distilleries or who it might be and be able to actually facilitate a real conversation about the product. Yeah. And we, you know, we want to support brands that, that we think, you know, are doing, are truly telling their story. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, what, you know, one of the, you know, one of the best partnerships we've had to date is working with a brand like Uncle Nearest. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, you know, 
they just the way that they're approaching the product, the way that they're going about it, and actually being very thoughtful about sort of making sure that they're paying uh, homage to you know the African American community that yeah. gave so much to where we are at whiskey culture today, not just at you know what they did, what a lot of African American slaves did for just Tennessee whiskey, but yeah. American whiskey in general, and actually giving paying that back. Um, has been, I mean, I'll admit, I was a little nervous when, um, and I said this to him, when the uh, the white uh, brand ambassador came in for yeah. this brand, and I'm like, are you sure this is not cultural appropriation? And, you know, he and the whole team were so thoughtful, and um, everything that I see that they do has been great. Um, yeah. Same with, like, Seedlip. I mean, Seedlip, uh, you know, I was like I'm sure many were at first kind of dubious of a non-alcoholic alcoholic or wait no a non-alcohol <laughs> distilled spirit definitely no alcohol um, but they do so much for the, the local community we were just talking about hmm. the uh, events in Chicago the way that they give back to the community and try and, and they're working diligently to foster a healthy lifestyle in, yeah. the, in the bar community it's brands like those that it's a no brainer for me hmm. I mean it's just at a minimum, back you know, we want to have them in the bar yeah. and a step beyond. You know, how can we do more with the brands that are that thoughtful? No, those brands are. I know on a personal level, uh, my buddy Ian's actually a Chicago rep for Uncle Nearest, oh, and yeah. he's a white guy too. And he even he said that in his interview. He goes because they recruited him, and he's like, "Am I the right fit for this?" And he's like, "He's like, yeah, I'm gay, but I'm a white dude still. You know, it's like I'm a little bit different than you know whatever. But at the same time, he wanted to make sure that he's telling the correct story from the right point of view because it is such a um, historic story, and it's yeah. something that's like not his identity and background. It is with whiskey, and he can tell that story. But having that appreciation and like that comfort for people, and then really educating their staff, those are what how brands are, I think are succeeding today. Right. Um, any other brands like that that you've been doing or noticed that kind of? Not to call you out or yeah, anything. No, but man, but no, give me. A, <laughs> I mean, I know there's a lot back to... there, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, those are the those are the two. Yeah. And then even you know, I will say, kind of even with um, you know, sort of historic brands as well. Yeah. Um, and we do a lot of work with both of those guys. We also do a lot of work with Plymouth. I cool. mean, uh, we have a great you know experience relationship with the Plymouth team, and you know, they're I see them being very supportive of our you know the LA bar community mm. and sort of the national bar community as well. And again, it's. I don't always think that newer is better. Yeah. Uh, you know, Plymouth has been around for you know hundreds of years now, and it's a great product. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's they truly do. Um, you know, it it's challenging to, to fight. You know, to beat that brand of what yeah. they do because they've done it for so many years and they've really put a lot of thought and effort into it. Uh, I will say the other brand, as I, you gave me a chance to think about it too, 86 Co. Okay. Um, you know, again, just taking the steps to actually be thoughtful about the products that they put out into yeah. the world and how it could be reused. So like we re, you know, all their bottles, the way the bottle is designed to be recycled. Yeah. Um, you know, and then again, their team is just so sweet. Uh, uh, Joe Brooks, who's like the local LA ambassador, is nice. probably the sweetest human being, uh, at least in LA. Maybe, maybe the country. I won't speak for the rest of the country. Um, every time I get to see him, just everybody in the room lights up because he's so charming. Amazing. Yeah, we'll go back to I guess more about your how you guys choose your cocktails and all that, and your, and your style of not style, but necessarily your development of the products too. Um, getting, getting back to that. Yeah. Were, yeah. So with the whiskey, I mean, obviously you have mezcal, you have gins, everything on there. 
how does it get into it? Yeah, so I think again, um, and this is <laughs> this really is where Daniel's ex- expertise and the team's expertise plays up, and then I start to take a back seat. <laughs> but really, I mean, for us, it's you know ultimately trying to provide a nice range for our guests, yeah. pro- trying to provide a pro- you know products that they can connect to, and then you know finding the flavor profiles of spirits that fit with the cocktail that they're developing. So. And it, you know, you kind of see this all the time. You kind of think of a, you know, say a gin that has certain botanicals in mm. it. And you're going, oh, well, this is lemon peel. This is like bursting with, you know, lemon. That'll be great. And I should pair it with this lemon-based cocktail. But then once you kind of add the two together, it actually mutes. It doesn't amplify like you may want. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where the, again, people with better palates than my own kind of really get to shine. And I think that's where our cocktails do really well. It's like um, our house well not our house sorry the old-fashioned variation on our current menu the uh the nightlight has a little bit of frangelico in there oh. which you know it's like when was the last time you saw a craft cocktail bar with frangelico <laughs> yeah, in a cocktail right. but that nuttiness just a little bit of it paired so well with the whiskey and kind of brings the whole thing forward mm-hmm. um and that's kind of the fun of it and that's kind of really going back to sensory um sort of sensory management is understanding where those flavors tie together. So uh, the Flavor Bible, you know, is this huge book that we keep in the back of house and it's constantly being referred to to try and build build yeah. uh, new ideas. Um, that and probably Dave Arnold's book and <laughs> trying to figure out new ways to do it all. It's good two sources right yeah. there. But um, yeah, it's, I think those are kind of just trying to make sure that the flavors pair correctly. Yeah. And then kind of getting back to like telling the story as well with, yeah. the, with the bar menu. I think we stopped at the old, old, is it old style? Is that yeah. right? kind of like, what's, what's that telling, what's that storytelling mentality or where are you going with that approach? How you said you had more of like a disco club in the 1970s. Yeah. And then, so yeah, we started with old style. So kind of imagining this pre-prohibition okay. um, era of cocktails. Uh, then it's the Neo, Neo. Uh, the Matrix now. Um, then the John neon, Wick three. John Wick three. <laughs> See it now. Um, then you have the neon section, which is yeah, that's kind of the light, bright disco era. And then the last section, and I'm just obsessed with the rule of threes. Mm. Uh, uh, the last section is present and beyond, and this is where we try and project forward. Okay. You know, uh, not knowing what the future holds, but guessing what it'll look like in the next twenty years. Um, and, you know, this is where a lot of clarification is in trying to be, you know, recycling products as much as possible. Um, I think the real star of that section is our invisible daiquiri, which, uh, is basically a clarified daiquiri. Uh, and again, clarification isn't this wildly new process, but for us, it's, it's about sustainability. Mm. Um, you know, clarified citrus is much more sustainable than, or much more, yeah, lasts for longer okay. uh, than, you know, typical citrus, uh, fresh pressed citrus. And there, you know, we can have something last as mm. opposed to needing to dump, you know, citrus on a daily basis. So, you know, we juice citrus day of, we use it fresh. Anything we don't use, then we'll take and clarify and then use in our clarified citrus cocktails. So cool. Um, and it's little things like that that I think we're trying to help figure out or just play our part in figuring out where we need to go in terms of 
you know, what's next in cocktail culture, both thoughtfully and also just in flavor profile. Does that even come like in how you use your ice and everything like that too for sustainability? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, so Negroni, Negroni Week is coming up and yeah. we were just talking about that. Um, and one of the, the charity that we're partnering with or donating towards is Water for People. Mm. And it's getting us to think about water content in cocktails uh, and how much can you pre-dilute, pre-serve. So actually, our it's funny, our happy hour cocktails are the most sustainable because they're all pre-bottled and kept in the freezer. Oh. So it's a martini menu. They're all chilled to about uh, 17 degrees. Nice. And then as soon as a guest orders it, we take a chilled coupe out. It's kept in the same freezer, put the coupe down, serve the exact pouring in, put it down. So it's pre-diluted, pre-chilled, goes out. Nice. And so for Negroni Week, bringing it back. We're trying to do the same thing, but with a Negroni, um, which I know isn't entirely original, but it's continuing to just think about what that pre-dilution can do, uh, both for sort of sustainability, but also for the guests. Yeah. You know, can we get that flavor profile perfect every time? Um, I think our staff get it perfect every time yeah. with you know cold draft ice and uh, beautiful shaking ice. Um, but if we could do that ahead of time and then cut down on the waste, that's really exciting. That's a smart way of being. I know I was at a conference, the Chicago style, drink Chicago style, and there was a whole, you know, two hour, three hour section of that just talking about how bars, how anybody in this industry can kind of put their, take less of a footprint off of the earth and, you know, do their part to make yeah. it kind of more clean, you know, just from like a brand side, to like stop having like stupid sunglasses at shows, you know, things right. like that, where it's like create real merch where people are going to use it. So if it's like more like cool socks or something like that, or yeah. a nice t-shirt, don't get the cheapest brand t-shirts, get a real t-shirt that someone be proud to wear, not just because it's a brand, but it also feels comfortable on their body. Right. So there's all little parts you can do, I guess, from the whole industry standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, and we're all doing it. I mean, yeah. I think, I think most, I think everybody, at least in the, our community okay. is, is doing their part. And our, when I say our community, I mean our like national global. Okay. I was wondering uh, if like, are a lot of LA bars doing <laughs> that too, I guess. Um, I think, I think they are. I mean, without knowing, I mean, we've all, you know, we've all had to, had to, and we did it before, but, um, you know, we've all switched away from plastic straws. Yeah. Uh, for us, it's metal and we just re reuse clean and yeah. keep going. Others, it's paper, but, you know, it's still the same intention, uh, whether it's, you know, coasters that we can recycle, um, citrus that we can recycle. I think ice, if we're still trying to figure out ice. I know a couple of people have figured out yeah. uh, some ways to repurpose ice that I don't want, you know, you can talk about <laughs> as much or as little as you want with yeah. the health department listening. Um, but I think ice, ice and water, you know, it, it it's a challenge. It's definitely, especially in Los Angeles. I mean, yeah. uh, we're fortunate that it's been a rainy past couple of years, but I mean, we, we're still, you know, on the verge or if not in, and somebody please correct me, uh, <laughs> in a drought, uh, or basically drought adjacent. Yeah. Um, so, you know, water usage is, is, in, is critical here. And at the same time, I and mean, we face this, I'm mentally challenging this all the time is, you sit down at our bar, you know, I want you to have a glass of water right away. Um, but if you're not drinking that water, that's, you know, that's eight ounces of water that I'm just pouring down the drain. Um, and so I do, you know, it's little Simple challenges things, yeah. like that, that, it, you know, I see it as hospitality. Somebody else would point out you're actually wasting, yeah. um, that I'm, just yeah it's it, it is a challenge to kind of wrap wrap one's mind around. yeah even last night when i was at dinner i 
they came in with a bottle of water and poured maybe like four ounces in the cup. I'm like, I'm going to drink a lot more than that. Then it clicked in my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're not in Chicago. Like, it's a different part of the country. Right. So, like, having that awareness, like, I'm not trying to, like, take a personal stance on that or anything like that, yeah. but just for anybody. You know, like, recognize where you are, and, and especially in other parts of the world, too, where, like, Australia, that they, they all water's on there all the time because they're mm-hmm. right next to an ocean. It does rain in that part of Melbourne as well. So right. they kind of go through, like, monsoon seasons. So you don't really have to think about it when, you know, you're a kid from the Midwest, but versus coming out here, it's like, oh, yeah, I probably should take a quicker shower. I mean, don't take right. long ones in the first place, but just kind of having even that, like, simple mentality when you're, you know, traveling about and you're a guest somewhere else, too. Like, have that appreciation back for, like, places like this. So just creating a hospital environment show it to, show it back to pay it forward if you will right um yeah how has like a has people fit into the la bar scene or what was your approach with it i mean i guess when it comes to like fitting into a place that has great bars great cocktail bars um whiskey collections as well yeah no i i um i love that you asked the question that way because i mean as i mentioned i grew up in la i obviously yeah. spent some years in the east coast but i'm incredibly proud and to be a part of the la bar scene mm. um I think, uh, I think there's just so much, I mean, we're seeing it now, the culinary world is getting, or the Los Angeles culinary scene is finally getting its due. Um, and even still there's funny ways about, you know, whether the Michelin guide actually makes (laughs) sense for Los Angeles. Like a, does a restaurant like Bavel, which is ridiculously great. Is that a Michelin restaurant? Uh, Whatever. That's We'll leave the culinary podcast till next time. Yeah, um, I'll have to have somebody on for that. Excited. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, I, we'll stop there before I really prove I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, for the bar scene, I mean, it, it's there's it's definitely clear to see. I mean, we you know this bar renaissance for starting kind of in New York, mm-hmm. uh, you know, well over a decade ago now, and you know, really hitting here. Um, you know, I guess yeah, the varnish's ten year anniversary was. A couple months ago, it's been that um, long. It's crazy to think like how like you think it's a short period of time. Then you think ten years ago, yeah, you're like reading about these bars and yeah, it's reading about these spirits, and now here we are, like a decade later. And so you have you know you have poor oh Jesus, uh, you have uh, the varnish, and then obviously the, everything that the Houston brothers did with Porvu and uh, a lot of Scarga and all that, and then even the restaurant side of things from you know I think it was Comsa, which I believe was another sort of milk and honey, um, you know, develop, okay. uh, development, uh, or at least implemented program. The LA bar scene is incredible. And then you even take a step back and think about bars like Musso and Franks, mm-hmm. which is celebrating their hundred year anniversary this year. And you know, it was the oldest liquor license in LA. And you just, that's, that's history that people yeah. never give LA credit for. Uh, and so for us opening here, I mean, just to be a part of the fabric of LA is is incredibly exciting. And mm. I think this neighborhood in particular um, has gone through kind of an interesting roller coaster over the last 10, 15 years. Okay. Uh, about, I guess, well, it's 2009 now. So before sort of the economy turned down, uh, Rodeo Drive, which is, not Rodeo, we're on Robertson, I don't know where I said Rodeo. <laughs> Robertson Boulevard, where we are, um, kind of, got famous for being like where TMZ would go spot Paris Hilton. Yeah. Um, so it was a restaurant across the street that's very shishi, um, some very high-end boutique, you know, shops. And this, I would never personally spend time on this street. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of reasons to come here. There was an 
incredible children's bookstore next door that I remember coming to as a kid. Nice. Apart from that, Robertson was, eh. Yeah. Um, and then I, the economy turned down and all the shops closed. This mm. place turned into kind of a real sort of drive-through spot. And again, not like bad. It's still a beautiful, yeah. glitzy neighborhood. Um, and I, yeah, make sure that's <laughs> truly clear. This neighborhood never really suffered it, like the rest of the city has. But I think, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff coming back into here now. And whether it's restaurants and bars and, you know, there's a MedMen down the street and we get our own dispensary right yeah. here. Um, I think for me, it's kind of Bebo is here to help sort of entwine sort of the fabric of the culinary and cocktail culture of mm. L.A. a little bit into this neighborhood. And there's there's certainly spots that do great things here. AOC is down the street and Suzanne Goyne, it's a James Beard Award winner and getting to be in that proximity. Uh, we're near to places like Melrose Umbrella Co., which I still think is the best party in L.A., uh, or best cocktail-to-party ratio gotcha. in L.A. Um, and just being able to kind of pull that in a little west mm. into this neighborhood, that's what we're ultimately hoping to serve here. It's a lot of responsibility to take on yourself, too. I mean... I, I don't... I mean, I guess so. I mean, ultimately, I just see it... I see it as just serving a need yeah um sounds like it's your passion to do it as well yeah and i mean selfishly i live nearby to here yeah um and you know i, I would leave this neighborhood and go visit other places mm. um i would go to koreatown i would go downtown i would you know jump over to venice uh silver lake echo park and spend a lot of time in highland park i wouldn't spend a lot of time around here gotcha um and again, that's changing, uh, and I'm just I'm kind of hoping that we can provide some small parts to that as well. Kind of reminds me of like as an old Grant Wood uh, quote. He talked about how he never appreciated Iowa until he went to Paris and painted, and then when he came back, mm -hmm. he he saw a whole new perspective of the hills and the sky and uh, the beauty of where he grew up. And it took a lot to it took you know time of traveling and seeing other places to appreciate where you kind of came from. Right. Um, is there a little bit of that? Like, did you want to start something where you're from too? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I think it would have been easier possible. Well, I don't know if anything would be easier, but uh, it possibly easier to go into like a neighborhood where it's tried and true. Yeah. And I'd be around the corner from three other bars that, you know, people know the ethos of the bar scene in that area. Um, but for me, it's I, I liked the opportunity to try something in a neighborhood that wasn't necessarily known for that. Yeah. Um, and again, it's it's self self serving as well. I can long LA, LA walk, you know, maybe not, but I could walk here if I really wanted to. And, gotcha. And that that's great for me. So a year and a half later, where do you uh, see your thing going? I mean, a year and a half from now. Um, I, I'm uh, highly superstitious, so uh, saying anything beyond hoping that this place is continuing to thrive. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's definitely continuing to see to see this bar thrive uh, would be incredible. I mean, we're a year and a half old. Yeah. Um, getting to continue to build on what we've done, um, continuing to help sort of provide the change and, and provide back to our community. Um, this year, we're kind of taking a step forward and trying to be more part of the community mm. itself. I think we spent, I spent the first year just trying to wrap my mind around operating <laughs> yeah, business. Sure. Um, like this year, so we're right right next to West Hollywood, which is uh, kind of the center of the LGBTQ um, community in Los Angeles. Pride's coming up. We're doing a lot of build up for Pride and 
trying to continue that through the year so that we can continue to foster that, you know, yeah. support for that community. Um, and that to me is the ultimate goal is like in, if a year and a half from now we could be known as kind of the sort of that gathering place mm. for our community. Yeah. Creating all that inclusion, you know, not exactly. making anybody feel uncomfortable where they are. It's such a thing. We were just speaking about this before we turn on the microphones. It's that sometimes you don't step outside of yourself and look at the perspective of others and mm. realize that someone can be uncomfortable just sitting at a bar when like a woman can be uncomfortable when the guy's just sitting a little too close to them. And it could, right. I'm sure you have to notice that um, your staff does as well if things like that are approaching Yeah, and developing, I should say. But yeah, it's that's great to hear that you, mean, you guys are taking that responsibility on as a bar, as a part of the community too, not just being, you know, some place to make money or some place to serve drinks and then letting your customers go maybe irresponsibly, but right. trying to actually be a, a part of something bigger. Abs- and, you know, it's, we're kind of here, we've been, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of our staff have been here for over a year now too. So, you know, everybody's, you know, we're here, we walk around, we eat at the local businesses, we stop in and say hi to our friends, whether it's Blue Bottle or the Henry or wherever it may be. And, you know, we just want to make sure that we're serving our regulars and serving the larger community. Nice. And that's, that I think is the greatest part of a bar. It's the connection obviously in the space, but once you get to that connection outside as well, that's when it really becomes transformative. Yeah, I think it's kind of what's been lost a little bit, like maybe until this whole renaissance of bars and community. Uh, it used to be in America, it used to be a gathering place, it used mm-hmm. to be a lot more than just a place to drink and you know, kind of have a rowdy time. It's been that too in the past, but uh, it's, it's something that I, I'm excited about. It's something kind of why I started this whole thing was just I wanted to have conversations with people that have a, oh, sorry, almost knocked over coffee, but have a conversation with people that have, you know, a presence of history right. and then trying to put that into a, a current day society and see how it can project into the future. And that's like exactly what your menu does. It tells that story and it's really cool to see it in person now and not just uh, on the internet. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, definitely. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I know you have to get it to a meeting in about seven minutes or so. Um, if, <laughs> if you want to wrap it up there, but it's been an awesome conversation just being a pleasure um, being in here too. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I appreciate the time. Is there anything you want to promote? Um, uh, we've, uh, depending on when the... This, yeah, I this, mean, uh, uh, probably come out next week, so... Cool. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, Pride, so Pride starts, uh, Pride Weeks in L.A. starts June 2nd. Um, okay. We're selling, we have our little Bebo monogram pins. We're yes. selling the Pride version of those. Half the proceeds of those sales, half the gross proceeds of those sales go straight to the Los Angeles uh, are the LGBT Center of Los Angeles. Okay. Um, so just something little we can do. We're going to be doing that year, probably year-round at this point. Awesome. Um, so something cool to check so out. So to here next week? Yep. Okay, cool. It's, yep. I think it's the third week in July or June of Chicago. Awesome. Well, then I'll put it out um, on Friday uh, or today. or to, Yeah, is today Friday? <laughs> Whenever. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to get it out as soon as possible so you can get that all out there and uh, have everybody come here and be a part of Pride, be a part of this community, and be a part of Bebo. Thank you so much. Awesome. And your Instagram handles and all that stuff? Yeah, at Bebo Ergo Sum LA. Uh, that's the best way to find us. Uh, B-I-B-O-E-R-G-O-S-U-M-L-A. Yeah. Um, yeah, some marketing major will probably yell at me for <laughs> making that a little too wordy. but uh, yeah. Take it from a guy who has four words in his website. I don't, don't worry about it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and if anybody's out visiting in LA, definitely come check this place out. It's uh, totally cool. Um, next time I'm in town, I'm going to come when it's open and not hang out with a cup of coffee at 11 o'clock in the morning, but it's definitely a really cool place. Um, I've had Tate's 
cocktails in the past too. That was super delicious. So I can speak on, on behalf of that. Um, other than that, guys, thanks for listening to us. You can check us out at Keen Lake, KeenLake.com, um, and all that good stuff. Read and listen and have a good time. But other than that, cheers, guys.